This episode of the Fit Cookie Nutrition Podcast is brought to you by Koros Global. For a free accessory with any Koros watch purchase, visit the link in the show notes and use code FITCOOKIENUTRITION at checkout. Hey everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I'm your host, Holly Samuel, and today we are going to be talking with Sarah Gross. If you haven't heard of Sarah before, um, she is an Ironman triathlon world champion, um, which means she is a very amazing endurance athlete. Um, She also has her PhD in women's history, and she is the CEO and engine, if you will, behind the Feisty Media brand. So if you have heard of like the Instagram pages, um, Feisty Media, Feisty Menopause, Women Are Not Small Men, um, she is involved in all of that in trying to foster a community in women's sport um, that, you know, helps us just be supported more in sport, get access to good, reliable information so that we can fuel our bodies well, train correctly, use evidence-based approaches, and continue to grow um, women in sport and the opportunities there. She works closely with people like Celine Yeager, Dr. Stacey Sims, um, and she is really prolific in this area of sport. So I was really, really honored to talk with her today. And we chat with her about her background in sport, which is super interesting, and also her involvement in the Feisty Media platforms, where she's got a new podcast, They've got a women's um, in sports summit coming up where they're going to talk about women's performance. There's over 20 um, speakers who are professionals in either mental health, culture, physiology, or nutrition. And when they talk about women's performance, they're talking about performance of all levels of athletes. So whether you're just trying to be more active, get out there and like walk more during the day, or maybe you're training to be an Ironman world champion yourself. Sarah was really, really awesome to talk to, and I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. If you are interested in signing up for that Women's Performance Summit, it's happening on March 25th um, through March 27th. Um, so make sure you go you go join that. It's going to be totally virtual, um, and it's a really good deal to join it for the value and exposure to these professionals you're going to get out of it. And I'm super excited to learn about this happening every year. They had their first summit last year, and it was a great success. So they're trying to continue it and make it accessible to more people. So go check that out at the link in the show notes. Now let's get into the episode today with Sarah Gross. Hi, Sarah, and welcome to the Fit Cookie Nutrition Podcast. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Holly, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited. I love everything that you're doing in the endurance community and just in the women's community in general. Um, So I'm really excited to talk with you today about all of our different topics. But first, um, let's introduce you. So if you could tell everyone who you are, um, what you do and where you're from. Wow. Okay. <laughs> this is, I don't know why this is always the hardest question. Um, so, so um, yeah, I'm Sarah Gross. I, where I'm from is easier. Um, I'm from Canada. Originally, I grew up partially in the Middle East and I spent most of my twenties in Europe. Uh, so I did definitely have various experiences of sport throughout different parts of the world. Um, I have a PhD in women's history, which has really informed a lot of the things I'm doing now with our media company, which is Feisty Media. And we're, um, our goal of Feisty Media is to create an empowering culture for active women. 
and we we host podcasts and and social media and summits and stuff like that. Um, and I was also a professional uh, Ironman triathlete for 14 years, and I won two Ironmans along the way and learned a lot of things <laughs> about being an athlete, being a female athlete, um, and all that good stuff. Oh, wow. I love that. And it just dropped that at the end. Oh yeah. And then I was also a professional Ironman triathlete for 14 years. That's amazing. I have so many questions, um, already. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, first of all, that's super unique. So tell me, I tell me more about like what it was like growing up in all of those different parts of the world. Yeah. So I think, okay. So in Canada, I had a fairly normal Canadian upbringing. I found, I always see things through a lens of like how women positive they are, <laughs> like my environments are. So you'll, you'll see that as I, as I talk, but, um, so yeah, I had, I played a lot of sports, uh, and then we moved to the middle East and, and to a small town too. Like it wasn't like Dubai today, right. It was this small town, um, in the United Arab Emirates, about an hour from Dubai with, hardly any, I think there was like one other girl from Canada, one American girl at our school, you know, uh, lots of people from all different parts of the world. And the level of girls sport was very low. Um, so that was when I started to do individual sports, like running, like I know a lot of your audience does and swimming, and it really helped propel me then later into triathlon. Um, so yeah, but it was definitely a different experience as a 14 year olds to, to go to have that culture shock of like, oh, I'm not supported in the same way as a girl in sport. Cause in Canada, I was a soccer player that played on every team and had never really had to think about gender in relation to sport, you know, not yet anyway. Um, and then I did my PhD in Scotland and um, that's when I took up triathlon and really had this like tug of war between improving at triathlon and really being almost like obsessively in love with the sport and then trying to continue to make time to finish my PhD. So then when I finished my PhD, I um, was able to lucky. I'm very grateful. I was, I was able to become a professional athlete. Wow. Yeah. I mean, those things are so like impressive on their own. And then to just have both of them happening at the same time, that must've taken a lot of like time management, late nights, <laughs> early mornings <laughs> to get that all done. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's, um, yes, on the time management piece, but actually I think it's easier than people that I've seen. Like I used to coach Ironman athletes who were doing, who are working full-time jobs for other people with expectations from other people and then, or from a corporation or something, and then also trying to fit in Ironman training. So I think I, I definitely think it was maybe easier than that to be a student and an athlete, especially in that kind of self-directed program, like a PhD program, because you can control your own time. Um, so in Scotland in the winter, when it was only light from like 9.30 to 3.30, I could cram all my training in the hours that I needed to and uh, still still work on my PhD project separately. So, um, yeah, I don't think it was as bad as it sounds. Yeah, I mean, it's still, hey, it's still very impressive. And in terms of like um, how you kind of fell in love with triathlon, could you walk us through that a little bit and kind of when that started to happen? Yeah. So when I was at university in Canada, I was in the swim team and I ran a little bit just in my spare time and I volunteered for the local triathlon and they put me on signing in the elite athletes um, in the morning. So it was like, oh, dark 30, terrible time in the morning. And so I ended up, you know, right downtown in the center of the race at six o'clock in the morning, done my job. And I ended up watching the race and I was amazed by it and there weren't that many women in it 
like in the whole race, I don't know how many people were in the whole race, but in this particular year, this goes back to like the 90s. Um, there were only maybe 10 women in the whole race. And so, and because I was kind of tired from getting up early to do this job, I was kind of like overwhelmed with emotion as every woman would come through, you know, whether she was an elite athlete or not. I was like, this is amazing going from swim to bike, watching them hop on their bikes and do their thing. And I thought, oh, wow, I wonder, even though I swam and ran, I was like, okay, I need to get a bike and do this. And so that's when I started uh, training for the, that same race the following year. Oh, wow. So that, yeah, that escalated pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then when I, the other thing that I sort of got lucky on a little bit was that I then I moved to Scotland then that next year. And at the time, Canada was like such a winning country in triathlon in general. Like we had the first Olympic champion, we had Ironman world champions, you know, there were, it was a real depth in Canada and I wouldn't have had a shot at anything, <laughs> but I went to Scotland, a smaller country, triathlon was still newer. And so I could, I sort of would finish higher up even in my age group or, or whatever. And it made me feel like, oh, okay, maybe I can be good at this, you know? And it's those seeds planted, like the big fish, small pond thing or whatever, like those seeds planted to me thinking, okay, maybe I could actually train properly and, and try to get good at this. Yeah. Yeah. It's always nice to have like that, that motivation. Um, whereas maybe if you started in Canada, like you said, if you finished lower, it would have been like a little soul crushing, but sometimes that motivates people too. <laughs> True. It depends how you're motivated. It's like just what I needed at that time, you know, like, whereas I think I would have just, I think I would have still enjoyed the sport fully, but would have seen myself differently in terms of how I, in terms of my future, you know? Yeah, for sure. And what made you want to pursue your PhD in women's history? I don't hear that very often. And I think that's super interesting. Yeah, I, I was always someone who noticed discrepancies in gender um, in terms of what women had access to in our culture, even as a girl, or I would notice that there were more boys, boys, men playing sports on TV. I would notice that men tended to be more in leadership positions and really affected me you know, um, and I really felt like something was wrong <laughs> with that um, at, at a really young age, like just intrinsically. Uh, and so when I went to university, I, at first I was in physics and math. And in my second year, I just stood up in the mid middle of a physics class and was like, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> I want to do something else. Um, so I did study world religions for my undergrad. So I studied a lot of that interest came from living in the Middle East. You know, I studied Christianity, Buddhism, um, Judaism, Islam, and, um, and started to ask questions about what women were doing in those various communities, especially historically and as those traditions developed. And so, and I had a lot of good professors that were kind of feminist thinkers who helped me create a critical way of thinking about, um, about how we how we look at history or how we look at anything, right? So in terms of the way history is told, it's kind of like we're, it's like nobody really asked what women are doing, right? Like we, we hear about wars and kings and like, but what did, what did women do? It's, it's rarely written when you actually look closely. And so even just that simple question is like, huh, I wonder if I could take a period of history and look at it and actually answer that question. Like what were women doing? How are they contributing to society? And how does that, how can that inspire us now? 
That's really interesting. And I think, um, too, like you said, just growing up and having those different experiences where, you know, you're a soccer player in Canada and as like a, like a tween or a teenager, and then you move to the Middle East and it's like not a ton of, you know, girls are playing sports and, you know, it's, there's no support. Um, so I think just having that contrast too, like within different cultures is super interesting. And did you look at like a specific time period or a specific like piece of history in your PhD? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was looking at the first and second century around the time that the that Christianity started. So I looked at three different communities. One was a Greek community, one was an early Christian community, and one was a Jewish community. And I just essentially asked, like, how many freedoms, what kind of freedoms did the women have in each of those three communities? And I did like a compare and contrast of that. Um, there's not, it's, it's hard, it's hard to find resources, because there's not that many texts written, women themselves didn't write very much unless they were highly educated. Um, you can, you go off of things like bowls, you know, like you find it's random stuff, right, like archaeological, um, or um, epitaphs, like tombstones, you can find women's names and, and their role in the community. Um, and all that I found very fascinating. And it was also fascinating that no one had asked, sometimes no one had asked the questions before. Like no one had said, had there were tombstones that said, you know, a woman's name, head of the synagogue. And nobody had ever said, who was this person? <laughs> was she the head of the synagogue? Like which synagogue, how did that work, you know? Um, and it's just because of the ways, sometimes the ways that we frame questions are shaped by our environment and, and who we are. And if history has been mostly written by men, then people, a woman doing history will ask a different question. That's fascinating. And that's like, so true too. Like, you know, us modern day, we're like, yeah, of course she was the head of the synagogue, but like, you know, in the first century, that's incredible. Like where I need to know more like about this person and what brought her to be head of the synagogue and what was her role and what did she do? Um, mm -hmm. you know, was she like appreciated or worshiped or was she like kind of looked down on? Like, I, yeah, I have so many questions. Because um, it's, it's, it's um, inspiring to us. Right. Right. Like, like knowing that it's like, oh, right. Like we're not the first like we're not the first women to build businesses or, you know, it was happening all along, even though we tend to see women's freedoms as something that's more modern and, and increasingly happen in our day. I, I don't think that's necessarily true. Like history always cycles. Yeah. So true. I love history. It's so funny. I, I always joke. Um, he's been on my podcast before, but one of the mentors who got me into running was my high school history teacher. I had him for three oh, cool. years. Um, and he's probably the only person I still talk to from high school, which is funny, but, um, yeah, so I, I love his conversation and it is interesting. Like you think of notable women in history and it's like, you know, they're very much like kind of, um, at least in how, you know, it's taught in textbooks, like, oh, they're kind of like part of the chapter. There's not like whole chapters or books dedicated to them. They're not the main event, the war is, or the president or, you know, wh whomever mm -hmm. it is, which is super interesting. Exactly. Yeah. And even how we frame those things, like what wasn't, what an important role was, you know, like actually how, were there women who were leading in terms of being teachers of children in the community? Like that's important, right? I, I want to know about that. There probably were, let's find them, you know. Seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I mean, it, this is like a deep conversation too, but even like um, one thing that I always find interesting is like in the U S one of the biggest like televised and highly paid sports is football. Um, you know, American football. And 
I, I never, I never really grew up in like a sporty like household. Um, my parents just didn't like really watch sports or anything like that. So I never really thought about it. And my husband totally loves football. Like it's his favorite sport. Um, you know, he grew up going to like a big 10 university, you know, they're all obsessed with, with college football, um, and his family. And it's a tradition, which is cool. But I'm like, I think one of the reasons I never liked it or related to it is because like, you don't see like professional women's football televised or even existing, you know, as broadly, um, as men's and it's just hard to relate to. Yes. I'm so on the same page. And, and I, one of the things that I will rant about often is how I think culturally we've accepted that we're going to spend billions of dollars on men's sports. You know, we pay individual players in a bunch of different sports, millions of dollars. Like the gender pay gap in sport is insane. While the women in the same sports are even in, if women don't want to play the same sports, that's okay, but let's, let's pay them the same <laughs> for the sports that they love to do and that, that we want to watch. Um, and it's like, they're trying to make rent, right? Like the, that it's, it's insane. And what does that tell? Like, how the ways that 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 you just said like kind of are bowing down to the football gods is like the ways that that affects girls too like when girls are still dropping out of sports at twice the rate of boys by the time they're dropping out like they've already internalized that idea in our culture that sport is not for them right like there's some level on which oh they got the message you know um even though there's tons of girls programs and like all these nonprofits creating opportunities for girls there's lots of things happening and I think that that's amazing but until we have that kind of elevation of sports heroes in the same way of female sports heroes that we have men I think we're still going to have a lot of girls thinking that they're not included in that situation yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's, that's a good point. Like it's, it's kind of just something we've accepted and, you know, if, if there's not as much like female interest in wanting to play like American football, so to speak, like then let's give some interest into what they are doing or what they are, maybe what they're doing better, um, you know, or mm -hmm. what, or what they're more interested in and let's televise it. And let's, I think one of the, the interesting examples in, in probably the world, but in the U S too, is like, women's soccer or like typical football, you know, non-American football, um, mm -hmm. and all other countries is like that got kind of big. The team was really good, um, in particular in the U S and people loved it and people were watching it and it was televised and, you know, it's still not equal to like American men's football and they're not getting paid the same. And I know there's been some activism there, but it's like proof that no, no, it works. If you just give them the screen time. Yeah. Yeah. And when people try to argue that, you know, there's not the interest, like the market decides, right. It's kind of like a chicken and egg situation. Like when we, when we do put women on TV, women's sports on TV, like in the Olympics, right. People watch it. In fact, the last, the last summer Olympics when the stats came out, 58% of the viewers in the U S watch the women's sports. Right. Mm -hmm. So like we, we do want to watch women's sports, <laughs> just put it on TV because then the funding will follow too. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's such a chicken and egg situation. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this kind of leads into our like main topic too, which are these pillars of women's performance um, mm -hmm. that I know you and your team at like Feisty are kind of talking about. So can you go through like the four pillars and just um, kind of how they tie into, you know, supporting women in what you're doing? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we, you know, last year we had our first women's performance summit and our main observation and our reason for having that summit was that it, we kind of realized, okay, well, if only 6% of um, exercise science studies are done specifically on women, if girls are dropping out of sport at this rate, we're being advertised to by like by media with all kinds of stupid crap about slimming down and how our bodies are supposed to look and all this fitness culture bs like where do women go to get good information about how to perform and by performance like we mean performance for every woman like we mean every woman who moves who wants to like feel good about that movement so we thought okay how can we find the experts and bring them to a summit where anyone can attend and or anyone who's working with women too we have men at our summit too um, who can attend and learn that information and know that it's vetted. Um, so, and we also felt that it was really important to take a multidisciplinary approach. So our, our four pillars are physiology, nutrition, mental health, and culture. And I really think you can't separate those things. Like some of the things we've talked about already, you can't necessarily culture affects the questions that we ask in sports science in the first place that determine what kind of studies get done and what we actually know about human performance. So it's like this wound up kind of mess where we need to, if we're going to make change, we need to do it all together. Um, so that's kind of what we're trying to do. And we feel like everybody needs to rise together. So, you know, of course we all want women to be active and throughout their lives too, like from puberty, puberty, everyone has different needs from puberty. What? through your um, main stage of life, when you're childbearing years, if you're on different kinds of birth control, your needs are different um, through perimenopause, of course, and menopause and then beyond it's, um, there's a lot of different needs that women have. And I think that's why sometimes people shy away from questions about women or studies about women. Cause it's like so complicated. Um, and we just kind of thought, you know what? It's, it's complicated if you think it's complicated, right? And it's not, if you just go out and like find an expert on, pregnancy and postpartum find an expert on menopause like find an expert on um uh, birth control you know and and in relation to performance so we're bringing together all of those people at our summit it's um march 25th to 27th and it's all virtual um because mostly because when we had it virtual last year because of covid everybody said to us we want it to be virtual again uh so we have i think we have about 20 typically have about 20 experts presenting over the course of the weekend um it's only a hundred dollars for the for the pass for the weekend um so i think it's a deal <laughs> um also i'm talking to experts every week in the similar vein like through my new podcast the women's performance podcast and um yeah, we've just done two episodes, which I'm super stoked about. Uh, but that's like, it's always been important to me as a media company that we also have things like we have paid programs like the summit, right? But we also have programs that are open for everyone to be able to learn. Um, and so that's what the podcast is about. Oh, I love that. And I think, you know, again, if you're using kind of that pillared approach, it does tie into, you know, the accessibility piece of it. Um, and I mean, even in, in the U S at least, like, I know one of the biggest predictors and determinants of health is like your socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think bringing in the, the culture piece and what the preconceived notions are and what we're exposed to, and then how that affects the mental health is super interesting. Um, so yeah, I mean, even like in your, in your summit, like with those two particular pillars, I'm, I would probably exist a lot in the nutrition pillar, obviously as a dietitian. Mm -hmm. So I'm, 
I'm interested in that too, but just those other two, I think are fascinating. Like what types of like professionals would you look for to kind of speak on those topics? Yeah, it's sometimes it's um, academics, right? Who are actually doing the studies themselves. Like Dr. Stacey Sims always talks, um, speaks with our our events every year. Um, and there are other academics we had at our conference last year. We had someone who works specifically on sports culture um, and, and or psychology, like a psychologist um, at a PhD level. And then sometimes there are people who are like translating information to the public. So like someone like yourself, like, uh, like an RD or someone who is like a taken, who has taken all taken Stacy's course or other courses available for how to, um, for the science of women's physiology, and then at interpreting it for individual athletes through their own uh, lens as in their profession. Um, so that those like super practical pieces people really like. And then often for our keynotes, we'll go for um, an athlete who, or an athlete or um, someone, a leader who's been really outspoken about their experience in one of those pillars or across the pillars too, because as um, athletes. So I can tell you like, for example, our Friday, our opening keynote, as far as I know, it's Friday. I know she's speaking <laughs> is Amelia Boone. Um, so she's, you know, she's been open about um, ha having eating disorders and some of the problems that she had through her career um, and body image and all of that stuff. So that's where we're hoping to like tap into that experiential piece um, from some elite athletes or just, they don't even have to be elite athletes, like inspiring people who can tell a good story um, and, and who have good stories to tell. So those are kind of the categories of people you can expect at our summit. Hey, everybody. Have you heard from our newest sponsor, Koros Wearables? Koros makes GPS watches that help athletes train to be their best. Koros uses top-of-the-line hardware with innovative technology to provide endurance athletes with the gear that they need. When you use a Koros product, you know you're getting a tool that has been designed, tested, and perfected for the athlete, by the athlete. And speaking of athletes sponsored by Koros Global, have you heard of Elliot Kipchoge, Des Linden, Emma Bates, Molly Seidel? I mean, come on, you've probably heard of them and they use Koros products. Koros watches allow you to create your own personalized workouts and training plans for running, cycling, swimming, and even strength or core workout at the gym. If you need an extra reminder to properly fuel during your workout, Koros has you covered with their customizable nutrition alerts. So you can basically have me on your wrist, pinging you every 30 to 45 minutes on your runs to remind you to fuel. Pretty cool stuff. Koros users have set world records, Elliot Kipchoge, and been to the highest point on earth, pushing their products to the extremes. At Koros, creation and innovation is never ending. And for Koros, the user is the focus. So if you are looking to try out a new Koros product and you want to be part of the Koros community, you can use code FITCOOKYNUTRITION at checkout to receive a free accessory with your watch purchase. You can use the link that's in the show notes to do this, and you just can pick out whatever accessory that you want on their page and add it to your cart, and you'll get it for free with the code FITCOOKYNUTRITION. I personally switched over to the Koros Apex over a year ago now from my Garmin Forerunner 220, which I also loved, but the Apex is gorgeous. 
It's probably one of their more simple models, which kind of defines what I look for in a watch. I just want it to be simple, although this one does still have quite a few bells and whistles that I use. Um, and it's honestly super comfortable to wear. It's not too big on your wrist. And the interface is really, really pretty, and the app is easy to use. So again, if you're looking to try out a Coros product, visit the link in the show notes. Use code FITCOOKINUTRITION at checkout to get a free accessory with your purchase. Now let's get back to today's episode. Oh, cool. I saw your teaser on like who the speaker oh. would be, and I was like, I bet it's Amelia Boone. That's awesome. <laughs> She's great. Yeah, we're stoked. I'm, I'm stoked to have... um like someone from obstacle course racing. Cause I'm a former triathlete who now does CrossFit. So I'm like, like, what's the acronym? OCR. I'm like OCR. Uh, racing. Yeah. Yeah. OCR. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a little bit like intrigued, you know? So I'm, yeah. I'm really keen to hear from her. Oh, I'm super intrigued by that. I think that's so interesting. I love, I love the, you know, you know, if you're talking about Dr. Stacey Sims, like her, you know, lift heavy shit, um, you know, lifting weights, getting into strength training. Um, I, I love all that stuff and how it can be combined with like the endurance world to support a sport, like a, like running or marathoning or triathlon. But then I think it's really cool. And you see the sports that physically do both like, and that's how it's judged like obstacle course racing, where yeah, those things that you're doing in the gym are really going to translate to skills that you have to present on race day, which is so cool. Um, so that'll be a really um, interesting conversation. I'm sure she's very outspoken about her experiences with her eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last year we had Myrna Valerio. She, do you know her? Yeah. 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 She's an ultra runner recently. She's been off doing all these skiing adventures. Um, and she was our opening keynote and she just set the stage so beautifully around like sport is for everyone performances for everyone. And she, um, you know, she had these great quotables around, like, I just stick my big black ass in wherever I want to go. You know, and we were all cheering in the chat box and, um, it was pretty fun. So those are the, like, that's the kind of thing, um, that we do. And then also like, we try to you know, create an environment at the summit that's like, not just like a zoom call, you know, cause it is virtual. Right. So it's like a community too. Um, and we definitely encourage everyone to talk in the chat box and attend all the networking events that we have later and, or we get our speakers to go to a booth after they're done talking. So you could go and do a Q and a there kind of with them where you can come on the screen and actually talk to them. And so there's these little details that are, um, with the platform that we use too, that uh, make it pretty unique. Yeah, that sounds really like really great. And like you said, if it's going to be hours on online, it's nice that you kind of break it up and make it more participative. I'm sure people appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you kind of going back to like your experience too, as um, you know, a young girl in sport and then a professional, you know, triathlete, like just in terms of your own experience, like, did you see any common like issues in the realm of, um, like these, these four pillars, like where things were lacking or there were like common challenges from a female perspective in that particular sport? Yeah. In triathlon. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. I, um, yes, absolutely. I think in triathlon, we have a lot of the same sort of body image, um, issues that you see in running as well. Um, where, that people and we need to be we need to be strong and we need to have muscle mass especially for swimming and cycling right so like every year at the world championships there was always that's the the one in hawaii there was always going to be a subsection of 
women, and I've definitely been included in this, who tried to get lean at the expense of their performance, you know, and saw that happening a lot. Um, and that, that, yeah, that kind of sense that like the leaner you were, the fitter you were. Um, a lot of sort of eating disorders, um, people recovering from eating disorders in our sport. Um, so, and that's where like the mental health, culture, nutrition, and physiology pieces all meet, right? Uh, even like we've been learning as a team a lot about um, LEA, uh, which is like when essentially when we have low energy. Um, <laughs> I don't know that much about the science, but um, in from corners that we don't expect, like it's just literally from people who are trying their best to have a good diet and continue with their active lifestyle and um, just like the, if they're just getting bad information, right? Or eating, not eating enough protein or not eating enough carbs. Um, so yeah, it's fairly prevalent still. Um, I think things are changing um, a little bit around body image, um, that kind of thing. But I think that's still the central the central thing that unites, like I know when we have, when we've had sessions on body image before or diet culture, um, we, we hear from a lot of people. Oh yeah. And thank you for like bringing that up too. I think, I think that's spot on. I mean, obviously from my perspective, I, this is like the corner of the world that I live in all day. I have my master's in eating disorders. Um, Mm. so like, this is just, you know, I, it's a population I work with very often, but I always like asking like, you know, someone who doesn't work one-on-one with clients like this every day, like what your experience is, and it's still super prevalent. Um, so I think that's, I think that's super interesting to bring up. Um, and I mean, if you could like go back and tell like, you know, younger Sarah, who was Mm. trying to get lean in place of her performance, um, like any advice at the beginning of that, what would you tell her? Yeah, I definitely, I was missing, um, I was missing information about strength training, right? Um, so maybe that's not that question you ex- answer you expected, but I, I definitely, uh, I'm not a strong athlete naturally. Like I'm someone who had, who leaned more into my engine size. So like, I would like to get up a hill on a bike. I like gear down and spin, you know? Um, but to do Ironman triathlon, you do need to be strong. So if someone had been able to say to me at the beginning of my career, like focus on strength, like was able to see that in me and know that it's partially because I'm a woman, right? So we didn't have enough female specific information. And like, I need to do more strength training than my male counterparts in this exact same sport. And it's it's a very simple observation now that I think about it, but we just didn't have that just the coaches, even the best coaches in the world didn't have that information. And it wasn't until the end of my career that I started to focus on strength doing like tons of squats and lunges and stuff that like actually took my cycling to the next level um so I would definitely think that and also um yeah also just of course get focused on stay focused on performance rather than how my body looks or understanding that like if I'm performing like if the metrics are there they're there and if they're not they're not um, and that there could be multiple reasons why they're not. And to listen to my instincts on that, because it took me years to realize things like that we now know, like, like the last couple of days before my period at the end of my luteal phase, I'm not going to perform. If I go to an Ironman in those day, on one of those days, I'm going to crash and burn, right? Like that happened to me a couple of times. Like if I just known that we could have, could have done something about it, like plan the races differently. It took me, it was like by trial and error that I learned that, <laughs> 
right? Um, and so now, like, at, thank God, we sit to have some of that information. Um, but yeah, there's a lot. Like, there's a lot. One time, I got accused of of cheating in a race because people had I had raced in that luteal phase a couple of weeks before, and then they said, "Oh, well, she can't have run this fast. Look, she ran this whatever." I'm like, no like a woman can have that kind of discrepancy in her performance. Like that makes total sense. Right. But wow. at the time it was like, what is going on? Um, so yeah, a lot of things, <laughs> a lot of That's things. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We're still learning. So I think my main thing, that was like a big babble, I know, but um, the main thing is like about listening to our instincts because the science is only just starting to be done. So if the science, they're only starting to study women, there's only so much we can know. So our instincts are still super important and our stories are important and our stories can change. It can help, can affect, telling our stories can affect what studies might be done in future. Yeah. And I mean, that's a, that's one that's hilarious that people are like, you were cheating because you were that much better. And you're probably like, was I cheating? Like, I don't think so. Like, yeah, yeah. I just was that much better. I don't really know why, but it was a better day. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I think too, like the anecdotal pieces, um, especially, you know, in, in women, I mean, again, probably two thirds of my clientele are, are female, um, and always have been, you know, in my different fields that I've worked in outside of sports nutrition. And that was always something I noticed was like, this seems to be a lot harder sometimes for women. And I don't like know how to help them with the tools that I've been taught, because it seems there's something not quite <laughs> working, especially once mm -hmm. we do hit I found like the kind of menopause stage of life, like it's just a forgotten like population. And it's so sad because we all hope to live long lives. So we're all going to go through this. Mm -hmm. um, and that was something that drew me to just learning more about like a really lack of science here to support this because I just felt like I didn't know how to help women. So I love seeing that anecdotal stuff, like leading, you know, to more research and leading to more things actually being done about it instead of just being told, well, that's just how it is. Like, good luck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I think that's huge and it's carrying into the sports population. And what I love to see too, is like you said, um, yeah, sometimes like the thing that we need to do more of than men, like we've been told for decades, centuries, even to not do like strength training, mm -hmm. um, because of appearance. And I, I mean, what is like your take on, like the appearance versus performance, um, you know, kind of approaches to nutrition and strength training. And like, what was one of the biggest things to help you like focus more on the performance? Oh yeah. Great question. I, you know, I, I feel like I, I've always liked the way like a strong woman looks right. So I don't think I had that kind of like, um, I think a lot of my focus or a lot of the thing I had internalized with, um, with like controlling my eating too much or being too weak was that was more about being lean than not having muscle, if that makes sense. Right. So like, um, so I think, yeah, I think in terms of the strength piece, like I just, I mean, I I'm stronger now I'm doing CrossFit. I'm stronger now that I've ever been. I'm turning 46 next month. I was a professional athlete for 14 years and yet I'm stronger now than I ever was. So and that's because of CrossFit and the Olympic lifting that I've learned. And, and I wish I could give that to everyone. Like, I wish I could give that feeling of like that feeling of being strong. It, 
it has an overflowing effect to the rest of my life, like feeling physically capable, so important. And not just on that cardio piece of being able to go for a long time, but also in the strength piece. So that's the gift that I would, that I would give everyone. Yeah, I think that's super important and very introspective, like to be able to focus on how it affects the way that you feel um, Mm -hmm. instead of how it affects the way that you look. And I think that's, you know, that's still an important piece for some people and can be a real barrier, you know, in in the same regard, but that's where I see the biggest success in my own clients. If someone, you know, maybe who has never strength trained before, or maybe they've never like done any exercise really before, um, you know, some of the most motivating factor is like they, what, like the, this particular goal comes to mind for one of my clients. And if she listens to this, she'll know who she is. But, um, like she really wanted to be able to like change, like the Poland spring water jug at her office, like the bubbler. Mm-hmm. Jug. Oh yeah. The, the big like, thing. Like, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> She's like, I want to be able to like do that without having to ask a man to go do right. it for me. Cause it's yeah. ridiculous. She's like, then I can't get water. (laughs) Um, so like, and she's able to do it now, you know, because we've been working on strength training, but I think like those like performance-based goals can be helpful to focus on. And also like, I want to feel strong because when I feel strong, then I feel, you know, confident and unstoppable. And that's, yeah, if you could bottle that and distribute it, that would be great. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. And I used to, you know, I love how I feel now. I used to have back issues too. And like my SI joint was a little out when I, especially when I was running long a lot. And um, now I just feel, I just feel so together. Like it's hard to like, I feel like I'm more aware of all of my muscles and I'm able to recruit things at the right time. And I, you know, I can stand here all day and do my work. or I can sit on a sofa and chill without worrying about my back. Um, so yeah, it's had a lot of knock-on effects for my life that I wouldn't, I didn't see coming, but I would never give up. From that standpoint too, if you had like those specific like uh, injuries or just chronic issues that you were dealing with, um, like when you first got into some of like the more CrossFit, you know, Olympic style lifting type stuff, like, was there kind of like a learning curve with that? Cause it's so different than anything you were probably doing before for, from lifting. Yeah, I, I, it was, there was a learning curve. Um, I never got injured from CrossFit. And I think one of the reasons is because I understood, I like understood my own limits already because I'd been a lifetime athlete. So um, there were times, there are times I have no problem saying, oh, I need to scale or change this workout. My shoulder's sore today. Actually, my shoulder's sore right now. So, <laughs> but, you know, because I recognize like in terms of my own longevity in the sport and my ability to go to CrossFit several times a week is dependent on me taking care of those things before I, before I get injured. Um, so I think that like that piece really helped. And then I loved, I really learned to love the skill aspect of lifting, you know, so it's not just about lifting heavier things, but actually you have to be really fast for Olympic lifting, like that speed element, the technical element, my brain just lapped it up and loved it. So, um, I didn't necessarily set super high, like my, you know, my goals now, I don't have, I don't have a lot of athletic goals, but for, for example, like I do, I just want to keep improving at doing snatches, you know, and clean and jerks, like straight up, just when I see a little improvement and I'm working on my technique, I love it. It's not necessarily when I'm lifting more weight. Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah. Did I answer your question? <laughs> Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. Like you're totally focused on like different things, you know, in CrossFit mm-hmm. and lifting than maybe the metrics you would have been worried about in like the cardio world. Yeah. Or like that process focus, 
right? Instead of, um, so I like took that with me. Now I'm kind of like grateful for it. I took it from my pro career into whatever the things that I do now, whether it's CrossFit or a new activity I've never done before. Yeah. Having the process focus. Let me tell you guys, if you take one thing away from this podcast episode, (laughs) that is so helpful because like you're living in the process most of the time, like the race could be on the worst day of your cycle. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And you could still perform well on the worst day of your cycle if you adjust to it. But you know, it, it's one day um, when it comes to like the actual outcome focus. So if you can focus on enjoying and getting, you know, motivation out of the process, that can definitely be helpful. And um, from like, for someone who is looking to, like we said, kind of get that feeling that we wish we could bottle up and they want to start strength training, but maybe they're coming from a place of just like having no idea where to start or being kind of intimidated by it. Could you give like our audience just like one piece of advice? Yeah, I think I would say, um, get a coach and get someone to show you proper techniques so that you can feel confident knowing that no one's looking at you in the gym and thinking you're do like thinking you're doing something crazy. Um, people do crazy things in the gym. Um, so I would say like, yeah, technique's important to that. That helps build confidence, but also just like be willing to own space, right? Like you belong in the gym. Doesn't matter what you look like. You belong in the gym as much as anyone else. And, um, and that's it. And find a gym, like find a gym you feel comfortable in too. Like find a place to space to lift. That's good for you. And that feels good. Um, not everyone like, I don't think I'd want to go. There's some places I wouldn't want to lift, not because I'm intimidated, just like I'm not, I don't want to be (laughs) in certain environments, you know, like I want to be in a, an environment where anyone can feel like they can come and be welcome there. Um, So my CrossFit gym is very much like that. And um, yeah, I just think like own that, right. Like own that piece of like, I'm going to find a space. I'm going to find a coach. I'm going to, I'm going to take up space and, and do something for me. I love that. Yeah. I know, um, something I've heard you say on your podcast and on your pages before is like the gym is for everyone. Um, and you know, the gym shouldn't like be shutting people out. So, I mean, even like, is there any advice you could give in reverse to like gym environments, like owners, people who control the space that would kind of create that environment? Yeah. This is my, um, my, my phrase that I always use, like whenever we're analyzing something to figure out if it's inclusive, like who does this serve? right? So if you're making policies for your gym, or if you're setting times of day of what types of workouts happen at certain times, or if you're purchasing weights, who does this serve, right? If you buy a rack of dumbbells where the smallest one is a 20, 20 pound weight, who does this serve? Like it can a 65 year old woman who's never done lifted weights before come in and be included there. Like your answers are going to present themselves if you use that lens on almost anything, yeah, exactly. And then if you're trying to serve like that wider population or be more inclusive of certain populations, like you got to buy the right equipment, you got to do the things that make sense um, and hire the right people to foster that. Yeah. Or if you're your times of day, right? Like who does this serve? If you're, if your workouts are all at 6am or 4.30 in the evening, or, you know, are you're not serving people who potentially have kids or want to come and work out during the day for certain reasons. You know, I've seen gyms like that where I'm like looking for a time. Like I can't, like I have my, I have my daughter with me at that time. I can't. Um, so uh, just like, I think that I just like that. I learned that from one of my professors uh, when I was in, when I was doing my master's that like, who does this serve? That's great. Yeah. And like, 
Yeah. I mean, to kind of segue perfectly into my next question. So in terms of like where people can find you and your resources and who you serve, (laughs) um, (laughs) tell us about like who you serve, um, and where people can find you on all your different medias. Cool. Yeah. Our um, media company is called Feisty Media and our website's at livefeisty.com. And that's where you can find out all about us and all the verticals that we work in. Um, And we're at feisty underscore media on Instagram. Um, And for the Women's Performance Summit, our website is womensperformance.com. And then folks can find me on at sarah.gross on Instagram. Um, My my website, if you find it, I apologize. <laughs> it's like an original website that doesn't even transfer to, I don't know. I, I, I was supposed to have it taken down, but yeah, go to Instagram at Sarah.Gross. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have a bunch of um, awesome resources and I love like all the different communities that you do foster and the inclusivity there. Um, so yeah, I hope people go check that out along with the summit, which is coming up very soon in March. Um, and now I'm excited to ask you the end of the podcast question, um, which I did not warn you about. So putting you on the spot here. Um, but in terms of like, you're having the best like race day of your life. Um, you know, it's like one of those dream days where everything's going well, maybe you're on a certain day of your cycle where the stars align and people think you're cheating. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and then you're crossing the finish line and what song would be playing to embody what you're feeling in that moment? Oh man, that's so hard. Um, I have, I go through, I go through phases with my pump up songs, you know? Um, oh, wow. You stumped me. Um, I, I'd like to say I'm someone who has like girl power songs, but I have a lot of like, from my childhood, I have a lot of like, white like rap music. <laughs> um, Okay, I just, I had to get out my playlist to answer this question for you um, <laughs> about my pump-up song. But okay, I have, I got to give you a couple. One, this is like for my daughter. She went through this phase where she listened to this song over and over again. It's called Boss Bitch by Dojo Cat. Amazing. <laughs> you know that one? Like, I'm yes. I'm a boss. And it would just be like yeah. through our house. And part of me was like, you know, this is when she was about nine years old. And I was like, do I mind the language? I'm like, no, you know what? No. Like if she's, <laughs> if she's dancing around with that, um, the message is great. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I love another one I love is like super bass, Nicki Minaj. Um, that one I've had on my playlist for years and years. Um, yeah. Kings and Queens, Ava Max. Nice. These are great. No, that's, that's good options. I love asking this question because first, I think you can tell a lot about someone like in their best moment about like, you know, like what like theme song is going through their head. I just think it tells a lot about like personality. Um, Mm -hmm. And then also it gives everyone like great music to put on their playlist. So (laughs) it's also very selfish. (laughs) Um, But thank you so much for providing us with that. I love those those options. Um, And thank you so much for coming on for this conversation. It's been really insightful. Yeah, thank you, Holly. I've enjoyed being here. Awesome. Well, have a good one and we'll see you at the summit for those who can make it. 
Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really hope people go and check out the Women's Performance Summit and all of your social media and your podcast that you've been putting out there for the world because, guys, we can do better when it comes to women in sport, getting more support, the right information, and just having a spot at the table and feeling like they have a community to turn to. I think this is so important. Um, and, you know, I'm super pr privileged to have been involved in different sports from a pretty young age. But I know that's not the case for a lot of women, especially if you are in a culture where maybe females being active just isn't the norm and it's not something that's supported. Um, I think it's really cool to have these communities more available. And I love to see her continue to grow. Um, so yeah, I mean, in terms of women getting stronger too, we talked about this a little bit in the podcast, my free pull-up challenge guys is still available. So you can visit the link in the show notes. If you want to download my free pull-up program, my goal with this program was to get more people being able to do pull-ups in particular, uh, females. Although obviously if you are male or don't identify as female, um, if you are, you know, non-binary or male, you can definitely still do this program. Um, but mostly I wanted to make it more the norm for especially women um, to feel comfortable going into the gym and doing some pull-ups because um, whenever I practice them, I usually get weird stares or like, wow, like you can do pull-ups, um, you know, from other people. And I just, I don't know. I think that should be the norm. Um, it feels really good to be strong. Like me and Sarah talked about during this podcast. So I was hoping to create a program that can take you from not confident in your ability to go try and do a pull up to maybe getting yourself a lot closer to doing your first pull up. So make sure you go download that guide at the link in the show notes. If that's something that you're interested in, there's two workouts per week to do. Um, and you can basically tack it on to your existing program. If you have other training plans that you're following, since it's mostly upper body and core work. So I really hope you go check that out. If you guys have been enjoying this podcast, I would really appreciate a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast player. It really helps the podcast grow. It helps me get sponsors like Koros and Inside Tracker and Koala Clip over the past couple of months be able to allow me to keep putting this free information out for you guys. Um, so if you're appreciating that and you want to support me, it would really mean a lot to me if you would go leave me a five-star rating and review, and also take the time to tag me and share the podcast on different social media platforms. All right. Until next time, guys, happy running. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.